we're going to go ahead and get started. I want to welcome every one of you. If you're looking for creative blue ma balloon animals for Jesus for your outreach, uh, that's not this one. Uh, we're going to be talking about evaluating leaders, becoming spiritual fathers and mothers, and uh, how we grow leaders through evaluation. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, what the five-fold ministry is today as well, and uh, how it's important that we raise up those kind of leaders within our body. So just going to start with a word of prayer. I'm so glad you are here today with me. I'm humbled that you chose to fly the friendly skies of this class. A lot of, lot of great sessions going on right now. I'm so glad you're in this one. And um, we're going to see what God has to say. I think we got a couple more chairs over here. Um, all right. We got a pretty full room here. So we got a couple empties. All right. So if someone comes in, maybe if you have an empty seat next to you and someone comes in, you can just kind of like give them a little wave. Jesus, you're the best. I love you so much. I thank you for all that you are. I thank you for all that you've done. Jesus, we just give you full glory, full praise. Lord, we ask that today, not just in this time, but God, all day long, Father, that you would just speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just highlight things that you want us to catch today. Not just things that interest us, but God, things that could advance the kingdom that we need to we need to get connected with. So, Father, I just pray that we'd have those kind of listening ears today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Luke uh, 14, I want to start, I want to give you a little theology of why, why we evaluate leaders and why that's a great practice to get into if you don't already. But in Luke 14, and if you want to, if you have your Bible, if you want to look it up on your phone, you're welcome to. I'm going to reference the, the Word of God actually a few times this morning. Because uh, we can, in our Q&A time, we can kind of talk nuts and bolts if you want to ask me some specific questions about whatever, evaluating. Um, but I kind of want to give you a theology and some reason behind why this is a good practice in the kingdom of God. But Jesus made a statement in Luke 14 that I think all of you will find familiar. And the verse says, if salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how will the saltiness be restored? So the question, how does salt lose its saltiness, right? So in the context of this passage, Jesus explains how that happens. And I, I just want to read that. It's Luke 14, uh, verse 25. And Jesus said in verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him. Is everybody there? If not, you just listen. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, and this, this, this is where we dial in here. I mean, those are powerful verses in and of themselves, but th this connects with the salt, right? For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether or not he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he had laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build what he was not able to finish. Verse 31 says, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet he who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he will send a delegation and ask them for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. Then he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it regain its saltiness? I want to submit to you this morning that the context of saltiness and salty living is the cost of discipleship, right? And I'd like to point out to you that, that Jesus is saying that the reason salt can lose its saltiness is a direct result of undiscipled living. Would you agree with that? We have another word for that. We would say undisciplined living. We know making disciples is discipline. The word is embedded. Discipline is embedded in the middle of disciple. So Jesus here in this passage is literally talking about the importance of evaluation, right? How critical it is. Who would build a tower first without sitting down and evaluating? Am I going to be able to make that? Am I going to be able to afford that? Am I going to get halfway through and have to quit? If a king's about to go to war, the Bible says, would he not evaluate? Do I have enough men? Do my 10,000 men, would they be sufficient on the field of battle against the 20,000 that are coming against me? I know we got some bad boys and we got some tough hombres out there, but I don't know. I don't know if they can overcome the numbers. So Jesus literally points out that these two figures that he's speaking of are evaluating. I want to connect this to the church right now. All right, because in the church, I think we sometimes struggle with evaluating and planning and projecting into the future. And, 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 and you know what I'm saying? So I want to I I make this connection here because every year kids from our churches feel what they believe to be a call of God on their life. Right. And they will take this call. People will encourage them and say, OK, and they will go off to a Bible college like me. Right. I, I was one of those kids. We go to a Bible college and they go four years of their life. They invest. They go all in. And how many know four years of Bible college doesn't cost what it used to. It's real expensive. And they come out and here's what the sad statistic says. Within five years, a vast majority of those kids are no longer not even even in ministry anymore. And that has been a true statement for a long time. And so I look at that, and they, they, they finish the degree. They're all in debt. They, they, get, they get the degree, but within five years of the graduating date, no longer in ministry. So that means they've spent four years of their life and a lot of money on a degree that only really has one value, and that is in the church world for the most part. And most of them don't use that degree anymore. So what does this say to us? Well, first of all, I think it, it should challenge us on how well we hear from God, right? That's a whole other topic, right? But I, I think we need, to, we need to contemplate that for a moment. But secondly, I believe we are failing our kids somewhere in the discipleship level, and we are failing them in the evaluation level. I think when we can honestly evaluate people, we, help, we not only help them decipher and know God's will, but we can help them grow and become. Because, you see, I see our job as leaders, our job is to water dirt, to water sand. And, you know, whatever springs up, springs up. That's literally our job. We want to water, and we want to water, and we just want to bless everything that comes up. And, and sometimes I think we get a little myopic or a little, little, you know, little narrow focused, and it's like if things are popping up and leaders are popping up that don't fit my little paradigm, then we tell people, you can't happen here then. 
you, did, you have to come this way if you want to get here. And I think we need to, we need to understand the, the apostolic leaders are people who simply water and then all kinds of wonderful things are going to sprout up. All kinds of wonderful ministry ideas. All kinds of leaders are going to pop up. And it's our job to help them do what? Grow. And we do that by how? We're going to help evaluate them. We're going to come alongside of them. Is this making sense? All right. So. I want to show you in this session a small tool, and many of you have it in your hand. If you didn't get one, don't be bummed, because on the website, on the Synergy website, you can download the PDFs of everything I just handed out, and, uh, which is even better, because then you can just take it, and, and, and if you want to use it, make it your own. But I want to show you this small tool in the process of raising up leaders that is invaluable for several reasons, which I'm going to give you this morning. So evaluation can obviously happen in different ways, using different formats. This is the format that I use. But this is what evaluation does for leadership building. I'm going to give you two points. I don't have a video screen. I don't have a, even a whiteboard today. I know this is, looks like one. It's an electronic one. But I'm just going to tell you, all right? So here we go. So if you're taking notes, number one, this is what evaluation will do for your leadership building. Number one, it will grant a measure of access for deeper relationship with a person being evaluated. I'll say that again. Sitting down with someone and evaluating them and going through the process, you can look at that form later. It, it's pretty in-depth, and it leads to a lot of great conversations sometimes. But here it is. It grants a measure of access for a deeper relationship with the person being evaluated. How many times have we been told or heard or even said, it's all about relationship in the kingdom of God. If we're going to make disciples, it's all about, and you know what? They're right. Evaluation is a way that you as a leader, having leaders working with you, beside you, beneath you, under you, however you want to say it, for you to connect in a deeper fashion in their life. So the deeper relationship needed, and I want to submit this to you this morning, the deeper relationships we need in the kingdom of God are actually people that I would call spiritual fathers and mothers. I know some, some people hear that term and it sounds weird and it sounds funny and, and maybe it's not a term you're familiar with. But just remember, in the kingdom of God, everything is revealed in familial relationships, right? God the Father, Jesus his Son, right? So in, in, in the Bible, we call, refers to us as brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. When I was a kid, we heard that a lot more than I think we might today. But, you know, it's brother so-and-so. I still call people brother so-and-so, and I know it like dates me and people think that's funny, but it's okay because I think it's a good reminder that we're family, right? So with that, and the issue is here, Paul pointed out in the, to the Corinthian church, he said that we may have thousands of teachers in the kingdom, but we don't have many fathers, and I'd like to tell you this morning that being a spiritual father or mother to someone doesn't automatically happen because they occupy a seat in your congregation or in your group. Just because they go to your church doesn't make you their spiritual father. You might be their pastor, you might be their small group leader, you might be their uh, teen group leader, you might be their young adult leader, but it doesn't make you their spiritual father and mother. That's, that's a whole nother level, and I think sometimes we have defaulted thinking, well, I'm over them, they're under me. I know we don't say it that way, but, but I'm their spiritual father. Well, that's, that's actually not correct. Maybe you're their instructor, right? You may be their pastor. You may be a good friend, but there's a difference between it being a spiritual father 
and just an instructor or a leader. So we hear a lot of talk about spiritual fathers and mothers. And one of the handouts I gave you, I gave you characteristics of a spiritual father and mother, if you want to refer to that. Because I believe it's essentially a, a, a spiritual father or mother is somebody who is a little older or maybe a lot older. They are battle-hardened saints who have walked through many battles themselves, and they are willing, here's the key, they're willing to share their life, they're willing to share their journey with you in order to see you empowered to become everything God has called you to be. Are you with me? Paul defines what a spiritual father or mother looks like, and you see the handout, right? Uh, they are more than willing to contend for us and with us in our battles. They are a voice that will warn us in love. They will bring discipline. And obviously, the, the person that we are being the spiritual father or mother to, that, that's, that's permission to do that. right? We, we don't go up and correct somebody without that permission given through relationship. Is this making sense? They're not put off by our failures, but they'll bring correction when necessary. They always have your best interest in mind, a spiritual father or mother will. They always endeavor to create an atmosphere that is conducive for God encounters. They are not interested in doing what is seen as popular in man's eyes. However, they will follow God at any cost, even to their own harm, like David said in the book of Psalms. Their biggest desire in ministry is not to self-promote, but rather their heart is for developing their spiritual children. They will gladly sacrifice their own advancement and be willing to risk being misunderstood in order to see their spiritual children generally encounter the power of Christ. I want you to ponder with me for a second. Think if we would do that for the upcoming generation. If churches would embrace this paradigm of not just, you know, I'm their preacher, I'm their pastor, but we would begin to invest ourselves on the level that I just said, and we'd be willing to sit down and help brothers and sisters that are younger than us, no matter, no matter what scale you're on in life, right? You got somebody younger than you, I mean, unless you were just born today. If we would invest ourselves in the upcoming generation, could you imagine the impact that would have on our future? Could you imagine the quality of disciples that we had? Imagine ministries rather than focused on themselves or a bigger platform or how can we get, imagine them focused on the, on the spiritual children they're raising up. See, I'm convinced that five-year plans are nice, but they're very passe in my opinion. We need 100-year plans. I don't know about your story, but I grew up back in the 70s and 80s, and I grew up with the thief in the night generation, right? Anyone with me on that? Distant thunder, thief in the night. You know what I was literally told? You know what? It, whatever we do, we're just going to be leaving it for the Antichrist, so we better just, you know, we don't worry about that. We won't even talk future. We don't, we don't even think. I never heard about 10-year plans back then, much, much less a 100-year plan. I heard Jesus is going to come back, and we believe Jesus will come back again, right? Amen. We, that, I'm not denying that. But I'm saying we were so asphyxiated on the fact that we got to get out of here, and it's coming, it's about to end, that I believe that that help facilitate us losing a generation during that time. Why? Because we were so self-focused that we forgot that we're on this planet to raise up next. 
See, with Jesus, it's always about the next generation. With Jesus, it's always about the nations. With Jesus, right, he's the desire of all nations. Jesus, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom. We can't forget it is not about us and our ministry and our numbers and what we do. We have got to be focused on the people we are raising up. I don't know about you. I want the church to be strong a thousand years from now, because it could be a thousand years before Jesus comes back. You know that, right? I hope you do. We have to plan. We have to plan. And I, th I always say this, the beauty of thinking 100 years ahead is that you and I won't be here to see it. So it takes any, any selfishness or any whatever that I have, it takes it out of that, and it forces me to look around, and it compels me to pour into the next generation and then to teach them how to do the same. See, this is discipleship. See, discipleship, I think, in some arenas has become behavior modification. That bothers me. Well, they got saved, and they're still, they're still cussing. So uh, we need to pair, pair them up with somebody who cusses less than they do, and they'll, they'll show them how to cuss. You know, that's not discipleship. That's behavioral modification. I believe that if we, you notice one of the tributes, attributes of a spiritual father and mother is somebody who cares about bringing their children into spiritual encounters with Christ because I believe those encounters are life-changing, right? Now, I believe sanctification is instant, and I believe it's progressive, right? So I've got the AG tattoo on my arm. I, I, I believe that. But I believe Jesus changes people, and when he changes them, then we don't have to worry about behavioral modification. We can pour our lives into them. We can begin to talk and deal with them on a level much deeper than... How many F-words did you say today, brother? You want to confess it to me now? It's okay. I don't think that's discipleship. So when I evaluate my team, it's really a powerful relationship tool that deepens our relationship. In fact, I have a person on my staff who's part-time. His full-time job is one of the larger companies in the Dayton area, and he's a manager. And you know what he said to me? first time I went through evaluation with him, you know what he said? He said, this is great. He said, I've never gotten this before. And I was like, you work at fill in the blank company and they, you're a manager there and they've never, they've never evaluated you? No. I was really shocked when I heard that, but then it dawned on me, oh yeah, that's the difference between a hireling and a spiritual son or daughter. How many people work at our churches are hirelings for us? Or if you're a pastor like me, you feel like you work for the board, you feel like you're ho hopefully not you, definitely not me. I'm blessed, but I've seen it. <laughs> I'm there to do a job. Friends, I want to submit to you, that is not the kingdom of God. You see, when you work in the kingdom, it, it should be that you are there not to just do a job or just fill a need, but you are being poured up into, and you're being trained, and you're being raised up. See, I feel like when I bring on deacons and elders, we have an elder board, we have a deacon board, and our staff, I feel, you know, as pastor, I feel like I owe those people. I feel this is the heart of a spiritual father. I owe those people an encounter with God. I owe, I, in fact, we just brought a new deacon. I said, you know what? My goal is for you to be closer to Christ 12 months from now than you are right now. Didn't even talk about, you know, what I expect. I, I gave him expectations. This is what your job is. But, okay, after that, okay, let's done. This is the important thing, you. Here's your duties. Okay, good. We got it. Now let's talk about the reason we're here. It's you. I am here, Ryan, to raise you up. 
I'm here to pour into you. So that's why when evaluating, the most important questions are, are you ready? If I'm going to evaluate somebody, if they're married, here's my first question. How's your marriage? How are your kids doing? How's Madison and Isaiah and Maggie? How are they? Tell me about your devotional life. Are you growing in the Lord? Here's one I love to ask. What is the Lord showing you today? What has the Lord been showing you recently? See, those are questions that move needles. You know what the most irrelevant question I could possibly ask them is? What's your running in youth group, youth pastor? I, I, I kind of don't care. Doesn't really matter because they're not hirelings. Now, numbers may come up, but you see, numbers tell a story, not the story. See, don't buy the lie that healthy things grow. That's not always true. Cancer's not healthy, and it, it grows. Tu I've seen people with tumors. That wasn't healthy. Man, they grew like overnight. Started growing. So people say, well, if it's healthy, it's growing. Mm, not always. Also, you can make things grow with steroids. You can introduce unnatural substances into the body. Come on, there's a sermon right there. I'm going I'm to avoid it because I could just go for a while on that. We're going to introduce some unnatural things to spur growth because growth is healthy. And that when growth becomes the goal, as Brother Rick Dubose said last year at our network conference, then we'll compromise any value we have to get there. So that's why we don't, we don't talk numbers. We talk persons because I'm not there to raise numbers. If we do, great. If we don't, I really don't care. Right? I'm concerned about the person sitting across the table. I'm concerned about their marriage. I'm concerned that they're still deeply in love with their spouse. I'm concerned that their kids are loving them and they're connecting with their kids and spending time with their children. I'm, co I'm concerned that they're praying in tongues every day, Pentecostal preachers. I'm concerned that they're going after God. That's what I'm concerned. That's what a spiritual father. See, a hireling is just the opposite. Let's talk numbers. Let's talk. And, and like I said, there, there's a time for that. It's not my focus, though. So when we evaluate, we're going to enter into deeper relationship. Next, here's the, here's the second point, and then I'm going to wrap it, and then we can uh, have Q&A if you want. Evaluation causes growth to be spurred on in leaders. So number one, basically, evaluation will cause a deeper relationship amongst you and the people you lead. Number two, evaluation will cause growth to be spurred on. How many know when, when you're meeting with someone and they're asking you those hard questions, you know, how's your marriage? How's your, what's, what you, how many know you're going to come in, you, you, you're going to prepare for that, right? You're going to make sure you've been, you know, that those things are in order. It, it helps spur you on to good deeds like the Bible tells us we should. So in Luke, Jesus indicated that the evaluation actually led to some kind of growth response, right? The builder had a second thought. Maybe I shouldn't build. Because I don't want to be mocked because I didn't plan ahead. I didn't evaluate, right? The king evaluated. It led to some kind of growth. He thought, hmm, maybe I should send a delegation for peace because we're about to have our teeth handed to us out there, and that's no bueno. So what we're going to do, we're going to send out a delegation. For, so you see what I'm saying? That evaluating process led to some growth. They made some good decisions. And when we spur growth on in leaders, we develop the kind of leaders we really need. All right, I'm going to shift it here just a little bit. Because they can become their God-given design, not our cookie-cutter mold. 
How many have children in here? Right? You would probably, likely, never force your children to follow in your footsteps of your f- current occupation or profession, would you? Not, not, that's not modern-day thing. I mean, in the old days, maybe, you know, son, I was an electrician. You're going to be an electrician, too. Right? Most, especially in the Christian homes nowadays, it's like, we're excited. Honey, this is what we say. I've already told my kids, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be, li- you can do whatever you want. You're gifted in music. I want you to go for that. You're, you're gifted in writing. I want you to go for that. And I think that's, that's kind of how we operate with our children. So I think the, the same thing is that's the Heavenly Father's heart for us, for us each to become our unique gifting and design that he's placed. How many would agree that God wants the unique gifting that he's put in us to come alive? Right? Yeah, of course. It's unanimous. Okay, this is what I want to say here. I feel like sometimes in the church we have to some degree, and hear me out, we have squelched people's God-given giftings and have tried to make them fit our molds. So instead of watering seed and celebrating the grace gift that Jesus has uh, given them or put on them, we have forced them to do and to become things they are not, and then when they get frustrated in ministry, Years down the road or months down the road, they can't figure out why when they had such a strong call. Sometimes people are misidentified because we have squelched them. Here's what I'm getting at. When we raise up leaders who have been called of God, the Bible tells us that Jesus has given us five different ministry leadership giftings that we must make room for in the body of Christ. Must, right? Now, we use the term five-fold ministry. How many have heard the term five-fold ministry gifts? All right. The word five-fold is not in the Bible. But don't worry, the word trinity is not either. The word rapture is not either. Neither of those words are in the Bible. The word five-fold, however, refers to specifically in Ephesians the five ministry gifts that Jesus gave us. So it's a term that we simply summarize. And if you want to turn real quick to Ephesians, how are we doing on time? Okay. Good. No one said anything, so I guess we're okay. We're going to turn to Ephesians 4. If you want to, I can just read it to you. You can just listen. It's cool. Ephesians 4, verse 7. The Bible says, this is Paul talking. Now remember, Paul didn't have the New Testament to quote from. Right? All Paul had was the Old Testament. I hope that wasn't a revelation knowledge to you this morning. (laughs) He didn't? I'm always amazed that the church in the book of Acts did what they did without the Bible that we have. Because they embraced the moving of the Holy Spirit like sometimes we refuse to today. That's another sermon. But grace, verse 7, but grace, stay on track, Eric, right now. But grace was given to each one of us, verse 7, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when it says he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. I know that sounds confusing, but basically saying Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended. He first, you know, he went to the bowels of the earth and then he ascended uh, far above heaven that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave, ready? 
it said that Jesus gave gifts. It's about to name them right here. These are five ministry leadership gifts that haven't gone away. Right? Apostle. And he gave, right? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and the teachers. Why? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Comma, right? Next verse, but this is still same thought. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to, to mature, excuse me, to mature to manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, still another comma, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Notice that in this passage, Paul says that apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors were given for what reason? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. I want you, hopefully you'll see how this all connects here. If Ohio for Jesus is going to succeed, the leadership development piece must be super active. In, mu in other words, we must have all of the leaders that God has gifted to be fully raised up and fully operating in how they function best. I would submit to you that kingdom growth and maturity is delayed when we try to fit round pegs in square holes. See, there are certain giftings that God has put in the body for a purpose, and if we don't understand or believe that gifting or purpose, we won't be able to receive the benefit of that gifting. Jesus said, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. This is why as we're raising up disciples, as we're being fathers and mothers, we're raising up next generation leaders and this generation leaders, we must be aware that God is still gifting people as apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. He's still doing it. Now let me clarify. It's not the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Some people get that confused. Well, there are only 12. Right, right. We're not, no one's going to have their level of authority again. We get that, right? They're, they're, they're a special group. But the Bible tells us that apostles, prophets, teachers are given for the maturity of the body. Now, this is just a guess, but looking around the body of Christ, I think there's some people who are still a wee bit immature and need to grow. How about you? So the Bible says, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you'll receive the prophet's award. If you receive an apostle, teacher, you could go down the line. Now, some people say that these giftings, especially the apostle and prophet, have ended. But it's super important that we pay attention to what the Bible says. And nowhere in the Bible are we told that these five ministry gifts, especially apostles and prophets, because they're the ones we always cut off, right? They cut off the, lip, off the list. There's nowhere in the Bible that says they have ended. In fact, it just reinforces it by saying these five gifts are given for the maturity of the body. Obviously, we need to be mature today just like they did 2,000 years ago. That hasn't changed, right? We're still in disciple-making mode. Some like to quote the verse where Jesus said, in last days there will be false prophets. I've had people, well, you know, in last days there will be false prophets. And they read that to say, in the last days all prophets will be false. <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. If Jesus wanted to say all prophets were false, number one, he would have said that. 
But number two, in the fact that the false prophets exist in the end times only proves that there'll be real ones around. Right? See, remember in the Old Testament, when Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh, the Lord gave them some power to do some miracles, right? What did they do? They took their rod and they threw it down. Remember Janus and Jambres, the, the, the court magicians, demonically powered? You know what they did? Well, we can do that. They took their rods, they threw them down, they became snakes. You see, notice who copied who there. Moses and Aaron didn't copy them. The magicians copied Moses and Aaron. You see, I want to tell you the reason why there is counterfeit anything in the body of Christ is Satan does that to try to dilute the power of God. By them throwing down their rods and they become snakes, that, trying to say, oh, that's nothing great. You see, Satan always tries to counterfeit. So see, what, what we have to be careful, and this is why we, we need the teaching, we need to pastor this, we need to oversee this. Satan will try to bring counterfeit. The temptation for many leaders is, well, we won't do any of that then. Wait, pastors are supposed to be equipped and trained, right? Right? Since when do we start throwing babies out with bathwater? We want to make sure the baby in the bathwater gets to the correct destinations. So Ephesians tells us the gifts are from Christ, right? And these gifts, the fivefold, and, and, and believe me, I'm not into having a tidal wave, a T-I-T-L-E, where it's like, oh, I'm apostle so-and-so, and I'm evangelist so-and-so, or if you have, I'm apostle prophet evangelist so-and-so. That's silliness. But the reality is, these gifts are divine callings. If you, you're not, I know, what, but if you ask me what do you think you are, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm just Eric. I'm just Eric. I function in my gift, and I do what God's called me to do in my little corner of the kingdom of God, and that's all you need to know. But I don't need to put my title on a business card, right? It, it doesn't, it, that does nothing for me. Uh, and I'm not knocking those who do. And I, 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 I'm just saying, I, I just want us to get some balance on this. But here's the thing. I can't go to school to become a prophet. Right? That's God-given gift. Can I, can I give you this one? I can't go to school to be a pastor either. Ooh. Oh. Now I can go and prepare to be one. It ain't going to make me one because... I had an encounter with God in my youth group when I was 16, and everybody around me said, oh, you must be called into ministry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I must. I, I really had a great encounter with God. And we sent them off to Bible college, and they went four years, and they got through, they got their degree, and they got into ministry. And I'm like, I hate this. Because we've taken our most spiritual kids, and we, oh, you must have a call of God. No, maybe they're supposed to be a real estate agent. Maybe they're supposed to be a doctor. Maybe they're supposed to be a lawyer. Maybe they're supposed to be a school teacher. we got to stop pigeonholing kids. Just because they have a super powerful encounter with God, that's awesome. It doesn't mean they're called to be an apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. Maybe they are. I'm not saying they're not. But this is where evaluation, relationship, watering seeds, right? I don't know about you. I want all the people I'm associated with having encounters with God. Right? I'm waiting to start the ministry where we have people who carry people out to their cars and get rides home, right? Because they're just out under the power of God. That, that, I, I want that for everybody. That doesn't mean all those people are going to be full-time in ministry, though. See the difference? It's interesting in the New Testament, the word pastor is actually found one time. Teacher, it's found 68 times. Evangelist, three times. Prophet, 120 times. Apostle, 70 times. 
These are just some fun facts, right, for the New Testament. There are 25, check it, 25 named apostles in the New Testament. One of them is a woman, Junia. There are one named evangelist, Philip. Zero named pastors. Nine named prophets. Four named teachers. We have flipped that on its ear today. We have all named pastors. And we have, where's the apostles? They're among you. They don't go around touting it, though, because it's not about the title. But here's my point. We have created one square peg path of this is the leadership role that you get. But that doesn't fit everybody. It's like a soda fountain, right? You've been to a self-serve. You may have Dr. Pepper. You may have, you know, Orange Crush. You have Pepsi. You have 7-Up. You have, right? You have five. And they're all different flavors, Right? That's how these leadership gifts are. They're all part of the plan that God has given us, and they all have different flavors, and they all do different things. So it's interesting that we've kind of flipped the script today, and I just want to read you one more passage, and I'll I'll finish. Romans 12, if you want to write it down and grab it later. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how are we going to operate in our gifts according to the faith that God has assigned us? I mean, there, there's some people that are, their gifting is like way over the top, right? It, it might indicate that they've just, they have a greater measure of faith that they're using it with. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, Ohio Assemblies of God, and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ. Everyone say, having gifts that differ. According to the grace given to us, let us use them, right? That's a clear mandate. If it's prophecy, use it to your proportion of, to your faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does these acts with mercy, with cheerfulness, not a complete list, as many times Paul's lists aren't, but he's making the point, whatever gift God has put inside of you, we've got to fan the flame into that evaluation that's what i believe paul was telling timothy fan the flame of the gift that was given to you because you see these gifts are imparted from christ i know we like to say well that was a baptism of the holy spirit it may have been but i believe it's probably a ministry gift that was laid on him given by impartation so the gifts god has given to the body apostles prophets teachers see what what do they exist to do equip the saints so how do they do that they equip us with grace that's what romans 12 said grace isn't just unmerited favor it's an empowerment it's an operational power of god so we're talking about raising up leaders right so we want to impart grace if you're raising up leaders what you're trying to do you want to impart grace on them right grace to do what they've been called to do empowerment is how we truly raise up leaders that's why romans 12 tells us that there are different flavors of these gifting so if i go to a pastor then i'm going to receive a pastoral grace is this making sense pastors have an equipping gifting grace that, that goes around the pastoral grace so evangelist grace if i if i go to an evangelist they are also e- 
gifted to equip the saints to do the work of the service. But the primary role of evangelists, listen, is not to lead people to Christ. Let me blow your theology. They can do that, and they often do that. But their main role is to equip the body of Christ to do so. I think the dumbest thing we do in church is we kick evangelists out. Time to hit the road. What's wrong with having an evangelist right there as one of your staff members? Because the primary role of evangelists is to equip the saints, right? They're all equipped the saints. They'll win the loss. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying their primary role is to teach the body how to do that. And not listen, not necessarily with techniques. We're going to have this script. We're going to read this script. You're going to believe in that prayer. You're gonna, okay, that, anybody can do that, right? It's a supernatural grace they impart. Right? Do you know, this is crazy. Do you know the Ford, Forbes 500 companies often have a position called an evangelist? It's crazy to me to think that many in, in, in the church realms, like a lot of churches don't even have an evangelist in anymore, if the ones that do travel. But what's crazy is the world has grabbed that term. Now that's a position. I mean, for, I just read it this morning. Forbes, Forbes magazine, some of these big companies, they have a position called evangelist. Like, wow, the world has taken our word and keyed up on it, and we're not, we're not even using that word hardly anymore. Evangelist is the poor sap who couldn't find a church, so he has to drive around and beg for services. That's how we view it today, and that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. When you go to a prophet, you get prophetic grace. What is prophetic grace? It's eyes to see and ears to hear. Eyes to see, ears to hear. So the role of a prophet is not necessarily to give a word to everyone. They may, they may do that. But their main role is to equip the body to get their own word from God. Right? Each according to their faith. Each of us exercising according to the amount of faith. Remembering if we receive a prophet, we'll receive a prophet's reward. If you eliminate the prophet and the apostle, you eliminate the foundational grace that we need in our bodies. And they play a role in equipping the saints. So... Here's what I want you to see today. Raising up leaders isn't about finding a person who's come 12 straight Sundays and they're pleasant individuals and they got a nice smile and doggone it. They've been here long enough. Now we're going to approach them about teaching Sunday school. All right. That's that's finding a volunteer. It's great to find volunteers. We all need more of them, but that's not raising up leaders. Leaders, I'm talking about raising up kingdom people that will push us forward into the preferred future that God has for us. That will only happen when we recognize apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. It's got to be that way. It's the, it's the Bible way. It's the Bible way. Now, am I saying the evaluation is the golden ticket to make this happen? Well, not at all. Not at all. But I am suggesting that it is a tool that will facilitate father-son, mother-daughter relationships that will raise up leaders that we need, not the leaders we want. Does this make sense? Israel wanted a king, so what did God do? Okay, you can have a king. It's not the leader they needed. Can I just tell you a dirty little secret? A lot of churches do that today. They find the pastor they want, not the pastor they needed. Every church is looking for Superman, but they really needed Clark Kent. They needed Clark Kent, but they thought, we got the budget for Superman. And they get the person they wanted instead of the person they need. See, we have to be careful about that in the kingdom of God. We want to raise up leaders. We need them in our movement. We need them now. We need these leaders in our churches. Evaluation will help facilitate identifying and raising up these leaders. I'm done. I want to take a few minutes that we have left and ask questions.
sorry if I went too fast. I tried to talk slow. I talk fast when I get excited. I knew I was up against time, so I wanted to get all of this in, but I wanted to allow you to ask any questions about evaluating or anything that we uh, said today. Yes, sir. Sorry. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I'm able, since they work with me, I'm able to probably catch that before I plug them in to a, a round peg. So there are several around me that I've identified and they, they feel, they agree, it's, it's a confirmation, but they feel the gift of an apostle on them. They've got that governing, they have the ability to set things straight, they have the ability to start something from scratch, they have that entrepreneurial, you know, Holy Spirit drive. And so... Uh, as I get to know people through these processes, I try to help them see their gifting. In fact, that'll be just random conversations I'll have with, with some of my close staff or e even my elders and deacons. I'll say, you know, you got the pastor gift on you, man, if you ever wondered. All right, you've got the heart of an evangelist. Lord's, Lord's placed that on you. So we, we try to I try to identify that and help them see that. And as they, as they believe that, and as they come into that and feel that confirmation in their spirit, I think it helps them not be a square peg in a round hole. But have I seen people in square pegs? Yeah. I think I was one for a long time. I wondered why I struggled in ministry, and it was because there wasn't a place for me. And I had to understand what my correct gifting was so I could pastor as such. So you, you don't have to be a pastor to pastor a church. You can pastor as an evangelist. You can pastor as a prophet. You can pastor as a teacher, apostle, you name it. But here's the key. You need those other people around you, Right? You can pastor a church with any one of those five is to equip the body. So you can be the pastor. You just have to understand if you're an apostle, you're, you're going to need if someone has a pastoral gifting around you because people's problems are going to drive you crazy. <laughs> Apostles are more worried about what heaven is saying and how we need to move this thing towards heaven and how we need to adv advance, right? Pastors are more like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Right? I'm all right, right? So you got it. Here's the key. That's why we need these in our body. We need these positions. So if I'm hiring staff, I'm not looking for like, you know, uh, this leader, that leader, whatever. I'm looking for apostle, prophet, teacher. I'm looking for people in these roles who are gifted. And that's hard to find because m most of these people have never been told that in their life. Like, oh, I wonder why I didn't fit or I wonder why they thought I was weird or I wonder why I thought I went they, they weren't recognized and they weren't raised up. And so if we'll do that, we'll have healthy functioning churches. Even if you have 50, 75 people, it doesn't matter. You can have a healthy church of 50 and 75, right? You may not believe that, but it's the truth. <laughs> Where in the New Testament did Paul chastise anybody for their church size? Nowhere. He, didn't, he got on no one. You guys aren't running as much as you had last year. What's going on there in Ephesus? Never said it. Anyone else? I get off on tangents sometimes, I know. Any other questions about anything, evaluation sheets? Uh, yes, sir. And a follow-up question. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, number one, it's it, not to sound repetitive, but it's relationship, and it's given in love. 
I, I've had to give people low scores a few times, but I hugged them and loved them and said, I'm on your side and we're going to, we're going to improve. This is going to, this is going to be good. We're going to get better. And, um, I, and I, I make that clear from jump when we start these, these sessions, these evaluation sessions that, um, you know, my concern is you, you know, you're more important than what you do. I tell that to people all the time I work with. You are more important than what you do, first of all, so you're safe, all right? So um, from that perspective, it helps. If there needs to be medicine to go down, it helps it to go down smoother. But I always make it a point to give at least six compliments total. Like I, I, have, I think on the back I have space for like three things to work on and six things they're doing. So it's like the old football coach thing. For every bad thing somebody mess up, I try to tell them two or three good things they're doing. So I always try to bring that element into it so they know it's just not pointing out everything I stink at, but things I'm also doing well, make, make it encouraging. So with, th with that perspective, I think it always keeps it positive so there's no intrepidation. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead, Sherry. Absolutely, absolutely. See, and if you're a leader that's gifted in one of the five folds, you know you're going to impart grace. You're going to impart grace on people below you, or above you. However you want to look at your timeline, your leadership line, you're going to impart grace to those that, who serve with you, and that's part of your that's part of your mo. Imparting grace. Remember, grace isn't just covering for sloppiness. Grace is empowerment. Right. Grace is like, hey, we stunk right here, but we're going to fix it. It's going to be better. We're gonna, God's going to God's going to use you in mighty ways. Tim, I'm sorry. Yeah. Those, they're annual. So once a year we take a deep dive and then maybe a time or two throughout the year, we may have a sit down and not go over that. But just a, a heart check um, personally. And then, of course, we have staff meetings, but we those tend to be more surface because not surface, but we, I don't take a deep dive into someone's stuff. Uh, but annually we go through that and go deep. And then maybe once or twice a year, there's maybe a sit down or two. Yeah, that's a great question. I have, there's actually some good stuff. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have the links, but if you Google, um, there are some genuine spiritual gift tests that will test people for apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, specifically the fivefold. And uh, I think some of them are actually pretty effective. And if you kind of feel like you know where God has placed you, maybe you've been afraid to say or no, you take one of these tests and you might be surprised. Like, oh, yeah, that is that is where God placed me. But um you just have to check it out and make sure it's like legit scripture that they're trying to. Because I've heard some people like the old spiritual gift test where they tell somebody they're um, uh, they're a prophet and they know they're a prophet because they like to tell the truth. Well, that's not a prophet. That, that, that's not. And I've, I've, I've literally seen spiritual gift tests that said, oh, you like to tell the truth. Well, you're a prophet. Well, that, you know, so you just have to make sure it's not kind of flaky like that. But there's some good ones out there that you can do with your phone just within five minutes and get a feedback and so it's pretty pretty cool but honestly if you know when you sit down with people you just evaluate your own life you 
you can tell. You can tell in those you're working with. You can see. You can see stuff. And you ask the Lord to help you, and he'll help you see. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, you know, I'd have to say every year I, I, I see that almost with everybody I evaluate because there's always there always seems to be growth. There always seems to be um, it's, it's really these evaluations are an empowering moment. So I often see an increase in energy an increase in the mm. inside um, from doing these. So, pr you know, I don't know that I can name one person specifically other than say all of them respond to this in a very positive fashion where I see growth and I see, you know, good stuff come forth from th this sit down we have with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would. I, I'd be glad to. I <laughs> this is the first time I think I've shared this. Uh, well, I've shared it in our, our area. We did this in our area last fall, but um, yeah. And honestly, this evaluation is just something I Frankensteined uh, from several evaluations online. So, I mean, you can come up with your own. I've added to it. Like I said, I just, I just put stuff together. I also gave you guys a preaching evaluation. If you're helping a young preacher in your church get better, I would encourage. I learned this from John Palmer years ago. Every time he preaches, he would give this form or form like this to people in the church. Say, hey, would you evaluate me? And it's a great way to, are we, we about done? Okay. One more question. Yes, yes. Not all of them, but one of them. I will choose one of my staff members, and it's the one I work with the most. Uh, she will evaluate me, and that's the best thing I've ever done. That's helped me grow personally. I am the pastor. Yeah, the, the, the one I pastor. I am the senior pastor at my church. I don't... Yes. Um, it was a man out in named Steve Rose out in Oklahoma. I was a. Um, no. Right. Well, I've I have identified one that I have a relationship with today, but it's not the it's not the pastor I work for. I have a pastor that I call. I call him my apostle, actually, and he's somebody that I can meet with and talk to. Yes, I, I wish I was raised in this, but I wasn't. Um, I'm just I'm trying to do everything I can now to see people raised with a spiritual father. But no, I, I didn't have other than my, I, my natural father was awesome, but I didn't have like a spiritual father in ministry. All right. Blessings all.